Section 2 of Gallipoli Diary. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sue Anderson. Gallipoli Diary by John Graham Gillum. Section 2. Prologue, March 1915 and April 1st to 23rd. Prologue, March 1915. On March 20th, 1915, I embarked on the SS Arcadian for the seat of war. My destination, I learned, was to be the Dardanelles, and the campaign, I surmised, was likely to be more romantic than any other military undertaking of modern times. Our ship carried, besides various small units, part of the general staff of the expedition. The voyage was not to be as monotonous as I first thought, for I found many old friends on board. After the usual orderly panic consequent on the loading of a troop ship, we glided from the quay, our only send-off being supplied by a musical Tommy on shore, who performed with great delicacy and feeling the girl I left behind me on a tin whistle. The night was calm and beautiful, and the new crescent moon swung above in the velvet sky, a symbol, as I thought, of the land we were bound for. As we passed the last point, a voice sang out, Are we downhearted? And the usual no, bawled by enthusiastic soldiers on board, vibrated through the ship, and so, with our escort of six destroyers, we left the coast of old England behind us. Nothing of interest happened during the passage across the bay. On arrival at Gibraltar, searchlights at once picked us up, and a small boat from a gunboat nearby came alongside. We dropped two bags of mails into her and in return received our orders. As we sailed through the Mediterranean, hugging the African coast, the view of the purple mountains cut sharp against the emerald sky was very beautiful. Our next stop was Malta, which struck me as very picturesque. The island showed a buff color against the blue sky, and the creamy color of the flat-roofed houses made a curious color scheme. As we went slowly up the fairway of Valletta Harbor, we passed several French warships, on one of which the band played God Save the King, followed by Tipperary, our men cheering by way of answering the compliment. The Grand Harbor was very interesting, swarming with shipping of all kinds. The small native boats darting over the blue water interested me greatly. The buff background of the hills, dotted with the creamy-colored buildings and a few forts, the pale blue sky and deeper tint of the water, the wheeling gulls, all went to make up a charming picture. We went ashore for a short time and found the town full of interest. We visited the club, a fine old building, once one of the auberge of the Knights of Malta, where we were made guests for the day. Afterwards we strolled round the town. The flat-roofed houses made the view quite eastern, and the curious mixture of fashionable and native clothing at once struck me. The women wore a headdress not unlike that of a nun, black and kept away from the face by a stiffening of wire. We passed many fine buildings, for Malta is full of them, and one particularly we noticed, namely the governor's palace with its charming gardens. As to the country itself, what I saw of it was all arranged in stone terraces, no hedges except a few clumps of cactus being visible. In the evening we returned to the ship, 
and before very long set sail once more. I found that two foreign officers had joined us. One was a Russian and the other French, but both belonged to the French army and both spoke English perfectly. On April 1st, after an uneventful trip from Malta, we arrived at Alexandria, our base, and from this date the diary proper begins. End of prologue. Gallipoli Diary, April. April 1st to 17th. We arrived at Alexandria on April 1st. The harbor is very fine, about three miles wide, and protected from the open sea by a boom. The docks are very extensive, and just now are, of course, seething with industry. All the transports have arrived safely. The harbor itself is full of shipping, and, anchored in a long row, I am delighted to see a number of German liners, which have been either captured on the high seas or captured in port at the beginning of hostilities and interned. All the division disembarks and goes to four camps on the outskirts of the town. My destination was bare desert, and reminded me irresistibly of the wilderness as mentioned in the Bible. There was a salt-water lake nearby, with a big salt-works quite near it. In the center of Alexandria is a fine square, flanked by splendid up-to-date hotels and picturesque boulevards. But the native quarter is most depressing, consisting of mud hovels, sheltering grimy women and still grimier children. The huts themselves are without windows and only partially roofed. Flies abound upon the filthy interstices. A noxious smell of cooking, tainted with the scent of onions, greets the nose of the passer-by at all hours. I find my work at the docks rather arduous, as after the troops have disembarked, we have to take stock of what supplies remain on board, and then make up all shortages. I sleep and have my meals on a different ship almost every day, which is interesting. About the fifth of the month the troops return to re-embark, I have to work very hard on the ships with gangs of Arabs. These folk are just like children and have to be treated as such, watched and urged on every moment. If one leaves them to themselves for an instant, they start jabbering like a lot of monkeys. I finally find myself on a fine Red Star boat, the SS Southland. There are a lot of our staff on board, also French staff, including General de Maud, the French general officer commanding who did such good work in France in the retreat. He is a distinguished-looking old man with white hair, mustache, and imperial. I hear that Way and myself are to be the first supply officers ashore at the landing. Half the Army Service Corps have been left behind in Alexandria, and there are only five of my people with me. Sunday, April 18th. We are now steaming through crowds of little islands, some as small as a cottage garden, others as large as Hyde Park. Sea beautifully calm, and troops just had their church parade. We have the king's own Scottish borderers on board, and it is very nice having their pipers instead of the bugle. On account of drifting mines, we are keeping off the usual route. Two o'clock. Arrive at our rendezvous, Lemnos, a big island with a fine harbor. Seven battleships in, and all our transport fleet, as well as some of the French and Australian. We remain in the outer harbor a while, opposite a battleship that had been in the wars, one funnel being nearly blown away. All battleships painted a curious mottled color, and look weird. 
one of our cargo boats has been converted into a dummy battleship to act as a decoy very cleverly done too later we go into the inner harbor and moor alongside another transport the aragon on which is my brigade staff and the hampshires who were at stratford with me the staff captain hands over to me a box which i find is my long lost torch and batteries from gamage french headquarters staff and general demaud leave and go on board arcadian the transport manito one of the boats on which i ate and slept and which left alexandria too in front of our transport was stopped by a turkish destroyer off Rhodes, and three torpedoes were discharged at her the first two torpedoes missed and the troops rushed to the boats owing to some muddle two boats fell into the sea and a ship's officer and fifty soldiers were drowned the third torpedo struck but did not explode as the percussion pin had not been pulled out two cruisers arrived on the scene and chased the destroyer off which ran ashore the crew being captured after dinner go on board aragon with hampshire officers and c panton also talked to brigade major and captain reed of hampshire's monday morning april nineteenth lovely morning fleet left troops with full kit on marching round deck to the tune of piano most thrilling piano plays who's your lady friend soldiers singing what men splendid what luck to be with the twenty ninth april twenty second this is a fine harbor very broad and there are quite a hundred ships here including the fleet and transports amongst which are some of our best liners i had to go to a horse boat lying in the mouth of the harbor two mornings ago and took two non-commissioned officers and a crew of twelve men we got there all right a row of two and a half miles but the sea was so heavy that it was impossible to row back i had to return and fortunately managed to get taken back in a pinnace that happened to call but the rest had to remain on board till the next day and then took three hours to row back this gives us an idea of the difficult task our landing will be at gallipoli for a time we were moored alongside the boat on which was the headquarters of the eighty eighth brigade and it was cheering to be able to walk to and fro between the two ships and to see all my pals of the hampshires the hampshires and the worcesters spend the day marching with full kit on round the deck to the cheery strains of popular airs played by a talented tommy the effect with the regular tramp is very exhilarating later i am ordered to join another ship the dongola in which are the essex and the royal scots the other regiments of my brigade two essex officers were staying in the warwick arms with me and it was good seeing them again the harbor at night is a fine sight a moon is shining and not a cloud in the sky and the temperature about fifty degrees the last few days however have been wet and drizzling just like a typical day in june in england when one has been invited to a garden party one can see the outline of the low irregular hills on shore and the ships are constantly signaling to one another silently sending orders planning and arranging for the great adventure have to go up to the signaling deck above the bridge to take a message flashed from a tiny little tinkerbell light away on our starboard the sight is wonderful busy little dot dash flashes all around the harbor how the signalers find out which is which beats me the view of the hills in the background contrasts strangely 
with the scenes of modern science and ingenuity afloat. I saw the Queen Elizabeth at close quarters two days ago, and I hope to go over her tomorrow. Also the Askold, a Russian cruiser with five funnels. Tommies call her the Packet of Woodbines. It is interesting to note the confidence the Army and Navy have in each other. While being rowed over here by some blue jackets, Stroke told me that he was in the Irresistible when she was sunk. He looked sullen and then said, However, they'll catch it now the khaki boys have arrived. The prevailing opinion amongst the Tommies is that the landing will be a soft job, with Queen Bess and her sisters pounding the land defenses with shells. Then the confidence French, British, and Russians have in one another is encouraging. The feeling prevails that when, once the landing is effected, Turkey will cave in, and that will have a great influence on the duration of the war. But a Scotsman said to me today, Remember, Kitchener said, a three years' war. Sir Ian Hamilton this evening sent around a brief exhortation beginning, Soldiers of France and of the King, which bucked up everybody. April 23rd. A bright day. Took estimate of stores on board to see if troops had enough rations. Found shortage. Signaled headquarters who send stores to make up. Received orders where to land on Sunday. Have to go ashore at V Beach with the first load of supplies and start depot on beach. Naval officer on board with a party. Breezy, good-looking young man, very keen on his job. The first boat of the fleet leaves, named the River Clyde, an old tramp steamer painted khaki. She contains the Dublin and Munster Fusiliers. Fore and aft, on starboard and port, the sides are cut away, but fastened like doors. She will be beached at V Beach, and immediately that is over, her sides will be opened, and the troops aboard will swarm out onto the shore. Good luck to those on board. She slowly passes the battleships, and, turning round the boom, is soon out of sight. The strains of the Russian national anthem float over the harbor from the Askold, and the first large transport leaves the harbor, a big cunarder, the Alcania, with some of the 86th Brigade on board. Great cheering! What a drama, and how impressive the Russian national anthem is! Evening again. Little Tinkerbell flashes begin to get busy. On lower deck the Tommies give a concert, with an orchestra composed of a tin can, a few mouth organs, and combs and paper. Tipperary, who's your lady friend, etc. Feel just a bit lonely and homesick, longing for the time when I can see my sisters again and punt up the river at dear old Guilford. But what about the Tommies on board? They have just the same feeling, and yet keep playing their mouth organs. Hear that Ian Hamilton feels a bit anxious over this job, but that Hunter Weston, our divisional general, is full of pluck and confidence. He says that he will not down the man who makes mistakes, yet tries to remedy them, but that the man that he will down will be the one who slacks and avoids work. April 24th. Another bright day. Some transports and battleships leaving harbor. Issue extra days rations to troops on board, which makes four days that they will have to carry. Their packs and equipment now equal 60 pounds. How they will fight tomorrow beats me. I tried a pack on and was astonished at its weight. We have left harbor and are steaming for the scene of the great adventure. 
Hope we shall not meet a submarine or drifting mines. Have spent the evening with some young officers of the Essex. They all seem a trifle nervous, yet brave and cheery. They play a naval game called Priest of the Parish, but it falls flat. I felt nervous myself, but after cheering them up felt better. Told them it was going to be a soft job. We arrive at five in the morning and troops are to land at six. London will be ringing with the news on Monday or Tuesday. If successful, the war out here will soon be over, we think. End of section two.